All right, good morning, everybody. I want to try something a little different here just to make sure that uh, we can use this along with having this here without causing any trouble. If it causes any trouble, let me know. Are you? We can back that up a little bit and maybe that'll, maybe that'll fix it if that's the case. All right. So anyway, to boot, I'm just not sure how loud I would be today. <laughs> this has been one of those times. But nonetheless, um, we're ready to start. Last, last week, we uh, looked at Revelation chapter 7. Huh? I, I, okay, you're going to have to tell me. Okay. Okay. All right, that's something I'll just have to play with later. Okay, so. Last week we were looking at uh, Revelation chapter 7, and we saw where the 144,000 were sealed, and we saw the great multitude in heaven basically representing God's people being uh, saved and protected. So we're ready to look at Revelation chapter 8. Before we jump into that this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you and praise you for all your blessings, for all the wonders you've given us. Father, we thank you for the miracle of your word that we have this, that we can read and understand more about you and learn what you want us to know. Father, we ask that you lead and guide us in this study, help us to Learn what you want us to know, Father, to be able to follow our Lord correctly and to draw closer to you, Father. Share with us your wisdom and help us to see what you want us to see, Father. Father, we ask that you would heal and touch those of our number who couldn't be here this morning, who need your, your touch, Father, to comfort them and heal them. We ask that you would bless them and, and help them to recover. And Father, we ask that you would help us to do everything here this morning in a manner that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <clears throat> looking at chapter 8, and before we start the, the trumpets here, um, I just want to kind of, you know, think about what should our viewpoint of these things be? How should we look at these things, you know, in chapter 7? We largely saw the salvation of God's people, and uh, now we're going to see more judgments, and we're going to see also more salvation in a way. So, uh, if you look at uh, Peter, Second Peter chapter two, verses four through six, he says, "For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment." And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning, no, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. You know, it's just an idea. It's a point of fact that God knows how to save his people and how to enact judgment 
at the appropriate times. We see this in his past examples in the Old Testament and these past examples of judgment and salvation are lessons for us. And so now in these chapters coming forward, in chapter 8 and forward, we're going to see judgment that is to come, things that are uh, leading to the final judgment, you know, before, a, before we have a new heaven and a new earth. So that's how I'm looking at this and taking this, is that this is to come. These are... These are events to come. In Revelation chapter 8, there is an event that happens before the last seal is open, before the trumpets of the next chapters. Um, that's what Revelation chapter 8 here is basically going to be. If we look at uh, the first uh, question, basically asking the main points of the chapter, uh, the main point is in the first verse, the seventh seal is opened, silence in heaven. We have preparation for the sounding of the seven trumpets. We have the first four trumpets in this chapter. And then we have at the end a, a threefold woe announced. So and I just wanted to show these are the seven. This is a representation, of course, an artist's representation of the seven angels with the trumpets being you know, preparing to blow those trumpets. So if we look at Revelation chapter 8 here, just going to get us down to our questions. Okay, so if we look at the first verse, just going to look at the first verse. When he opened the seventh seal, this was the seal we were waiting to be opened, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And the question we have here is what happened when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, right? There was silence, there was silence right? Just plainly, we just said there was silence. So, so why silence? What do we think this might signify? I think he was in awe of what... Yeah, you think he was in awe? That's, yeah, this is a sign of... Oh, that's that's fine. And you're saying there's awe, and maybe uh, it's difficult to explain exactly what they were seeing or what they were preparing for. Yes, Matt? It could be the, um, the calm before the storm, sort of a dramatic yep. pause to emphasize what's about to happen. Right. could be a dramatic pause to emphasize what we're about to see, what's about to happen. Um, and and it, it being the seventh seal, it could be uh, a conclusion, you know. Right, they're anticipating what's going to be last. This is the seventh seal. This is the conclusion of the seals. Yes. I think it also shows reverence. Yes. Uh, Habakkuk two twenty says the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Right. So that is in Habakkuk. All the world keeps silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple, and the idea that. There's a certain amount of reverence going on here, right, to what is about to happen, what God is doing, what the Lord is doing. And, and those are all things that I had I kind of made a note of, too, that I thought it kind of signified that, that type of reverence and the conclusion of one thing and moving forward into the next things. And yes, so, so all those are good points. 
Uh, if we look at then, does anyone else have anything on that before we move to the next verses? Yes. Well, one thing, if you think about the other seal, of course we skipped the chapter in between. No, we didn't skip a chapter, but there's a chapter stuck in between, right? Yes. We had chapter six with the, with the six of the seven seals, and then we had all that stuff in chapter seven, and now we're coming back to the seventh seal. And the other ones all had like some kind of judgment. There was a horse, and there was an earthquake, and all this stuff. Right. And this one, there's silence, and then I, I kind of think that the seven trumpets that we're going to talk about maybe are almost encapsulated in that seventh seal. Like the judgment of the seventh seal is the seventh trumpet. Right. I, I, that's what it says, and that's what I agree, I believe also. These seven trumpets are encapsulated in that seventh seal. This is that, that big judgment from those seven trumpets. This is that. Um, so yeah, like, like Matt was saying, this is, uh, all coming from that seventh seal. This is all about that. That's these whole, um, all seven of these trumpets or judgments are in that seventh seal. So if we look at, um, verses two through six in, in Revelation chapter eight, we'll look at verses two through six. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So if we look at uh, chapter um, question three, there's just a basic question, what did John see next? And he saw the seven angels who stand before God, right? I mean, just to give the, it's just a basic question, basic answer. And they were the seven angels with the seven trumpets. Now, if we look at the question number four, what did another angel, this other angel that we were just reading about, what did this angel do? So if we look at, Verses 3 and 4, that angel, let's see, came and stood before the altar with a golden censer, right? Mm -hmm. And what was given to that one, or to him? Much incense. Much incense, right? Yeah, much incense. And then the question why, again, very general, but if we're going through this step by step, what was the next thing he did, really? That kind of gives you the why. Yes. Right. He was adding the incense to the prayers of the saints, offering it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar before the throne. And this is similar to... Uh, when you read like in Leviticus, I, I have an example here in chapter 16, verse 12. This is similar to the fire pans and the things they used in temple worship. Um, 
Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil. Again, offering of incense and just a general similarity to that. Then we look at question five and says, what did the angel do then do with the censer? Right, he added fire to it. And then what happened? Right, then threw it to the earth. Threw it to the earth. So, um, let's see. And then what happened when he threw it to the earth was there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake, right? So, that is similar to what we see uh, when God came down to Mount Sinai. It's a similar thing. If you read Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 20, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And then, let's see, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai at on, on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Just, just an example of a similar, a similar thing that we know has occurred. Let's see. Um, then we have also um, the, one of the other things that happened at this point in these verses, verses 5 and 6, is that the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to sound. Now, one question is why, why trumpets? In particular, just why would you think maybe trumpets? Yeah, Matt? I know that would be used in a, like an army to tell the army where to go. Right. Yep, yep. Um, God was the God told them originally back in the Old Testament to create these trumpets, these horns that they would blow to signal when to move the camp, to signal alarms, when to gather, when the leaders would gather. It was a signal that was used, and we carried that on down through our Calvary. If you see the old Western movies where they blow the charge and. This was something that was done a lot, but uh, God had started this, actually, and it was also a sign, in a way, a sign of judgment. If you think about Jericho, when they blew the trumpets and the walls came down. So it's a sign of, it's something that God has been using for signs and for communication. And uh, if we look, you'll see it in Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And this is a little long, but I think it's worth 
reviewing and understanding that this was something that God has been doing for a long time. Um, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Again, a bit of that judgment, God being called upon for his judgment against their enemies. Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So there's a lot of practical purposes, alerting the people to danger, helping move the camp. You got to remember they were a lot of people. Um, also calling God to judgment against enemies. And that's a big part, I think, of what we're going to be looking at here. And then also used in, in worship and in the sacrifices and the burnt offerings. There's a different picture here for this, I believe. Can I do it that way? Okay, so this image is kind of a well, amalgamation, is that a good word for this? It's a lot, it's the trumpet judgments kind of all wrapped into one. You can see the locusts and various different things, which we'll try to point out as we go. I'll try to remember to do that. Did we cover, pardon me, I want to make sure that I didn't skip over anything. I think we covered all of that. Yes. I had a comment about, uh, I guess, verse 4 and 5. This, I'm trying to make sense of this business with the, the angel throwing, throwing the center full of you know, incense down to the earth and everything. And I think I'm making a connection maybe back to um, chapter 5. We, uh, we saw that imagery again about the, um, the prayers of the saints being like incense or whatever. But then chapter 6. Verse 9 and 10, um, the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls who had been slain because of the word of God, because of the witness which they had maintained. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Master, holy and true, will, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And I'm, I'm thinking maybe if we think of perhaps that as their prayer, you know, how long until you avenge us? And here in verse 4 of chapter 8, they took the smoke of the incense and went up with, with the prayers of the saints, sort of 
joining that together with God's fire from the right. altar, and then you know God's fulfilling their request. Then right. And okay, so yes, the we have the prayers from the martyrs that were under the altar, right? And Matt's saying that it sounds like there's a connection here with the um, prayers and the uh, censer of incense and that being thrown to the earth, that this is a symbol of that judgment that God is bringing out from their, their prayers where they were martyrs and they were looking for that judgment to come. And that's also going to come up or be a part of one of the trumpets that's coming up. So there is that sense that when the altar here is mentioned, we have to remember the the martyrs that are figuratively under the altar that are praying for that judgment to come. So there is that to think of. And of course, God, even, you know, we, we had the question about why would they care anymore? But even if, even if we did not care, I think God still has that judgment. He still cares about justice and judgment. So. All right, so we are ready. I just wanted to make sure, but does anybody have anything else on that before we move to the next verses? All right, so we look at Revelation chapter 8. Now, chapter 8 is short. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. The first angel sounded, that they blew their trumpet, right? And hell and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now there is a difference here that you will see in a lot of the other translations, and we know I use the New King James Version a lot, but for instance, if you look at the New American Standard, the verse reads slightly different. Uh, the first sounded, and there came hell, and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. That much is the same. But then it says, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, for some reason, the New King James Version leaves out that one section, and a third of the earth was burned up. But looking at the interlinear that I was looking at in the original text, it appears that that is there. So it's just something to be aware of, that actually it says, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So I only, I only mention that because it seems that there's a discrepancy there. I just want to make us aware of that. So we continue on with verse 8. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, 
and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Notice there's a lot of thirds there, so it's not complete and total, but a third, a portion. So if we look at our next question, chapter 6, if we just, how would you describe what happened when the first angel sounded or blew the trumpet? Well, it says, <laughs> right, it says there's hell and fire, right? Hell and fire followed, mingled with blood. Uh, they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees. And um, let's see. And a third of the trees, and all the green grass was burned up. So it says that's not a third. That's all. We have a lot of thirds, but that's not. And I, I have some similar things, because I think a lot of these things we can look at and say, that they're not totally just symbolic because we've seen God do things like this before. If you look at uh, Genesis chapter 19, verse 24, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And if we look at Exodus chapter 9, verses 20 through, 22 through 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hell in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with, with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where God's people were, were where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And so he's, he's done these types of judgments before. And this, this is all relating back to judging the enemies of God's people. And so this might be judgment on a bigger scale, considering it's affecting the whole world, but it's not something that's brand new or unknown to us. We've seen this before. Because he has done this before, you know, he can, he can do it again. I guess that's the whole, the whole idea. Does anybody have anything else on that? These, a lot of these judgments you can relate back to certain things like what happened in the land of Egypt, the curses on them, and different things that we've seen again in the past. All right, so question seven. Describe... What happened when the second angel blew their trumpet? I know they say sounded, but I don't know. That just sounds odd to me. That's not the way we talk, so, or not the way I talk, I guess. 
So here we have something that's a little stranger, right? Something like a great burning mountain was thrown in the sea. Now, notice it's something like a great burning mountain. He doesn't say it's a great burning mountain. So I think John is trying to describe something that he doesn't have maybe the vocabulary for. It might be if we were seeing something uh, like a, I don't know, like a giant uh, jet, and we were trying to describe it to somebody thousands of years ago, it might be difficult to explain that to them, except he's got the reverse problem. He's living thousands of years ago trying to explain something that he saw but doesn't understand to us. So, Could that be lava? Could it be lava? I don't know. It's something like a great burning mountain. Could it be lava? There, There is an indication, I was going to say, uh, there's there's several things that some people could think it could be volcano style, kind of an eruption style thing, or maybe a meteor or asteroid or something, or even possibly some sort of nuclear or atomic incident. We it's hard to say from this description. It's you know he's trying to tell us something he doesn't know what it is. It's something like a mountain. So there could be other ideas. Those are just some that I was looking at. And then, of course, the results, some more that go along with this, was a third of the sea became blood, right? A third of the sea creatures died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. I'm assuming this is just, in general, just man's ships that are in the ocean. Um there's a similarity. It's not exactly the same with uh, back in Exodus again, chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. Uh, and Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So again, similar, not exactly the same, but there's some similarity there in that the water was turned to blood and that the fish died and, you know, it was a big problem for them. Does anybody have anything on that before we move forward? Yes, Pat. I was just thinking that all of this thing, all these things are happening, you know, um, they're being viewed, and who did all that? Who had, who made all that happen? God did. Right. Power he has. Right. That's the power God has. He controls and and makes makes all these things happen. He controls all of these things. Okay, so. Let's look at the third angel and that trumpet that he sounds. What Describe what happens then. A great star on fire like a torch. Right, a great burning star, right? That falls from the sky. Right, it falls from heaven and on a third of the rivers and springs of water. And a third of the waters become wormwood, 
and many men died from the bitter water. Now, wormwood and bitter water, wormwood, first of all, is a bitter shrub. Okay, that was the only thing I could really find about it. It was a bitter shrub. You can see a mention of it. It's, let's see, it's used to represent like sorrow and judgment in the Old in the Old Testament. If you look at Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And then if we look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, But they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and after the bells which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. So, and it should also remind us of the waters of Marah, <clears throat> where the children of Israel were there, and the water was undrinkable, it was bitter, It's what they called it. And that's back in Exodus chapter 15, verse 23, but God changed the water for them to be sweet, to be good and drinkable and usable. But, uh, and this one, this one really, again, you know, it sounds more like maybe a meteor or a comet even. A comet has a tail where it could actually poison a large mass of water on the earth if that was the case. But that's just an idea. That's not what it plainly says, so but that would be a possibility. But yeah, wormwood, it really represents um, sorrow and judgment. It's something to think about there, as in this is part of God's judgment. Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. So if we look at chapter 9, I mean, question 9, if we look at question 9 and look at uh, the fourth, the fourth angel and that trumpet, how would we describe that? So, right, right, it affects all the, the heavenly bodies, right, it affects the the uh, sun, the moon, and the stars, a third of them are all darkened, and a third of the day and the night does not shine. Now there's, again, similar example to what we see back in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So, now this was different in that it's a very thick light, uh, darkness, a very thick darkness, but still a similar idea that things were dimmed and things were darkened. Also, if we look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 29, the Lord is speaking, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, 
the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So we believe all of these things are related. Does anyone have anything else on that? So I think we're I think we're running out of time here. Um, if you don't mind, let's let's look at this last verse in Revelation chapter eight, verse thirteen. Let's look at this last verse. Um, well, actually, no, I'll run us way over on that. So we'll come back and look at that next week. Okay, so we'll stop here. Thank you for your time and your attention, and we'll pick up there next week. Thanks.